over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, here we are. Uh, a little technology here. Uh, on behalf of, I don't trust these guys, Nancy. For the Animal Welfare Hour, we got Matt Blaze here, definitely a fugitive. Ken, the runway model, and the Marilyn Manson lookalike producer of the Frank Morano show handling this. I'm a, I'm a little uncomfortable, Nancy. Uh, don't worry. We'll, we, we got it. We're okay. All right. But number one, I get this question asked uh, so much, is that uh, the other night it was a full moon. And people heard that you were in Central Park because your nickname is... Um, Lone Wolf One, uh, that you were baying to the moon like a wolf howling at the moon. Is this true or not true? Uh, no, th- there there is no truth to that story. You know, even though I was on the air here, so I, I couldn't be there physically. Well, I mean, I, I do go to Central Park to see the moon, but uh, no baying is involved. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure of that. We have neighbors of ours who said, you know, your wife, uh, while you were on the air, she was uh, right off the rambles on one of those huge boulders baying to that full moon the other night. Was that actual audio recording of me? Yes, ab- absolutely. By the way, how do the cats in our apartment react when it's uh, a lunar eclipse or a full moon or animals in general? Well, I mean, I would say they definitely act um, more attentive. And I would say certainly at nighttime because, you know, they love looking out the window. So any anything that's crawling on the ground, they're going to see, uh, you know, much better because there's a full moon. So it's it's an exciting day for them. And by the way, it was called a flower moon for all of you uh, former hippies uh, dancing in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco or Washington Square Park uh, a flower moon. But uh, let's get down to some of the issues. I've been taking a beating here at WABC from a lot of animal welfare people calling up because, you know, every year I do the picks for the Kentucky Derby. This year my picks, uh, I think they're still running there out on the track at Churchill Downs. I, <laughs> I had a miserable card. Yeah. But, Man, oh, man, I mean, the pressure is on, especially from you, that I need to give this up because of all those horses that within the last week have died while in the paddocks, the paddock area, the backstretch, waiting to run in different races, not just uh, the Kentucky Derby. There was one scheduled to run. He died. But a total of six other horses yeah, and, and it, you know, so again, I think it's not completely clear um, what's happening, and I'm sure the, you know, the specifics will come out over time, but, you know, it's some sort of, um, like, injury, either a specific injury to the horse, or it was something a little more preemptive, like you were getting to, where, um, like, something muscular skeletal. 
So, I mean, I guess reading between the lines, the presumption is they had something in their system that wasn't reacting correctly with them and precipitated this or exacerbated whatever injury they had. So um, that required – and, and again, there's always some negativity surrounding all of these uh, big races, but the volume of horses that were euthanized this time around, it's just – I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So well, Jesse, I mean, hopefully this is, gets an end to this. Just to give you an example, the uh, race stewards and the vets – pulled the favorite out just hours before the race, Forte, uh, owned by two Brooklyn guys. Uh, you have uh, Rapole, who made billions uh, when he had vitamin water, sold it uh, the rights to Coca-Cola. And Vinny Viola came out of Williamsburg. He's a billionaire in Florida. He owns the Florida Panthers, who are on their way trying to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, and, like, moments before the race in the morning, because uh, – Forte had a bruise on his hoof uh, out of a uh, sense of caution mm-hmm. so as not to have the favorite collapse on the track in the race, and then they have to euthanize the horse right there. They pulled the favorite, yeah. which meant the owners could have made millions. They, they had to just suck it up. People had already bet. Uh, many of them didn't have a chance to change their bet, but they were doing this because they couldn't afford to have another horse die. There's something really bad going on. Yeah. I mean, and again, I don't know how long it will take before the information comes out about this, but it's just so highly unusual how many horses uh, were affected. So, I mean, obviously a lot of negative attention coming their way. Well, let me uh, me use this uh, powerful uh, microphone the number one news talk station in the nation, 50,000 powerful watts of sound. At this time of night, we're heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down at Davy Jones's locker between Bermuda and the Bahamas. People can hear it crystal clear all over the world with the app uh, or on streaming audio of their uh, worktop computer or their, uh, uh, their uh, laptop computer. Uh, I have made the decision since I can't stand when I come to the house getting all the grief about me picking horse races or going to Saratoga or Aqueduct in Belmont that I am giving up horse racing from now on. No more horse racing. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds uh, like a moment to celebrate. I will not be doing picks for the Kentucky Derby any longer. The Preakness coming up uh, and the Belmont Stakes. I will not be going to the Belmont Stakes, which I normally went to each year, or my one every year I generally went to Saratoga. Not well, going to do I, it. I think a lot of people will be happy that you won't be picking the horses. Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Why? Because uh, this this time I came in with losers? I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, nope. But I made that decision. I can't be involved in animal welfare if I'm promoting horse racing. I agree. I agree. And these horses, seven of them, died in one week at Churchill Downs. And not because they were stuck in a fire or anything like that. Because they were getting, let's face it, they were getting juiced up. This is like athletes who get roided up, right? Like A-Roid, A-Roid. Oh, I didn't use uh, roids. They have all kinds of drugs that they use on horses to try to give them an advantage on races. And it's really catching up to them. So let me be the first of many to say that's it. No longer am I promoting uh, thoroughbred horse racing. That's going to make a lot of the horsemen out there upset. But you know what I say? Tough noogies. Oofah.
So I have to have a relationship with my wife. That's the most important thing in the world. And at this rate, I'll never be able to sit there without you, like, uh, berating me, and rightfully so. So let's go on to the other animal welfare issues, of which there are many. There was one. uh, People walk their dogs here, and, you know, there is an inordinate amount of poop that is left behind, and that isn't being addressed. It's getting worse and worse But dog owners are complaining about the number of dogs when they walk. You know, they sniff around. uh, They sometimes eat whatever they find on the concrete or on the asphalt. That they're eating the remnants of joints, you know, like the roaches. And they're getting stoned from that. Is there anything that these uh, people who have dogs can do? Because it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem as... uh, reefer use, weed use becomes more and more prevalent. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, this story sounds a little bit like reefer madness type stuff to me because this is what the claim is, that people walking the dogs are now, um, you know, ingesting not necessarily even joints, but um, edibles. And so that there's the calls that are coming into ASPCA, their animal poison control. In the last year, it's increased 11%. So, you know, they're basing on that fact of, well, you know, this is what it is, which sounds, you know, significant, but then in the last five years, it's gone up 300%. So I'm not sure if, you know, it could be a little more related to lack of sanitation pickup, you know, as opposed to the, you know, joints on the street, because that sounds like a way bigger number. But so this is what's happening. The, The people are calling and they're saying, you know, my dog is having these symptoms which are relatively mild, but they're cautioning. Now, again, if you want to be on the safe side, I mean, I've seen, you know, people walking their dogs and they have muzzles on them, not because they're dangerous, but uh, for this exact reason. You know, dogs, they'll want to sniff anything or eat anything on the ground. So that would be a way to avoid it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC. You can listen to it every Sunday night live, 11 or 12, with my wife, Nancy, the Animal Rescuer. Uh, There are many, many previous hours of the Animal Welfare Show we've done at WABC. You can go uh, to share them with others or to listen to past episodes. Go to WABCradio.com. That's WABCradio.com for all the part for your podcasting needs. But let me ask you about a story that dominated nationally and internationally. It made headlines for like weeks. And that was Moose the dog in Brooklyn's Prospect Park who uh, stood his ground to protect uh, the woman who had raised him as a puppy in one of the brownstones nearby as an emotionally disturbed uh, guy with a cane came at her. Uh, she would have been hit and struck and maybe uh, would have been uh, physically injured or maybe even killed, and he took all the blows. Eventually, he died a week later from internal bleeding. And can you pick up the story from there? Because this was picked up by every news agency in the world, and then there were follow-up stories week after week after week about Moose, the dog, the hero dog who gave his life to defend the woman who raised him as from his uh, puppy days. Uh, yeah, so the the uh, dog who unfortunately perished because it was uh, attacked in Prospect Park along with the uh, the owner who was walking, you know, Moose, 
And, you know, this started a long journey where this woman was more or less trying to seek justice for uh, what had happened, you know, not only her dog having died, but the attack on herself as well. And this individual has been, you know, wandering the park for years. And, I mean, people know who this who this person is. And, you know, just the hurdles that were, were placed before um, her in terms of, oh, you have to, you know, see him and call him when you see us before we can move forward. And, you know, again, it just – it was such a frustrating sort of thing to try and achieve justice. And, you know, and all this while, this individual is still – to this day, wandering in the park, and people continue to see this individual who clearly needs help and is a danger to himself and others. So, I mean, so that's the the storyline and where it is today. And in other words, nothing has happened. But this story is about, uh, you know, in Prospect Park, then when people want to honor someone, or in this case, honor the dog, uh, you know, they, they're planting a tree in Moose's honor. So, you know, it was uh, a recognition of the dog's life and the dog having passed, but obviously, you know, a reminder of this, you know, total failure of the system for this woman and this dog. Now, in addition, uh, the woman claimed that this man had come after her in the streets of Park Slope weeks later. Yeah, when she had when she had been on this mission to try and uh, get justice, which was apparently uh, she was told, oh, you have to see him. When you see him, call us, and he, you have to be able to, like, you know, identify him when we're there. Caused her to, you know, call, and then, you know, she's more or less, like, following him. And then he starts getting aggressive and chasing her and then attacking her again. So, I mean, yeah, so this was a, I mean, very long, drawn-out process. And probably the worst was the local councilwoman, Hanif, who is another socialist Democrat, you know, loyal to AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, told all of her constituents, don't call the police. Don't get the police involved in this. And they didn't. They never came to the aid of this woman. That That's the power that these socialists have. They I mean, frighten yeah, the just, police. I've, never, I've just never seen anything like that where, you know, you can just twist a narrative in such a way that, you know, it's an animal who's a victim. You know, like, I, I don't get what's going on there, but clearly you have to acknowledge that animals are abused and animals need help, and there's a reason why you have to be the voice for the animal. So irrespective of what's going on, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're so ultimately concerned about um, every, you know, being, everyone being handled with kid gloves, that's great, but what are you doing for this person who's there now who clearly needs assistance. I mean, so you're dropping the ball on some front. Well, that's my favorite park in all of New York City. Uh, I love it more than Central Park or Van Cortland Park or Cunningham Park. These are great parks, but, boy, Prospect Park is the best. And I know you spent a lot of time in Prospect Park when you were living in nearby Sunset Park. Uh, We walked the park. We talked to the people, the people walking their dogs. We assigned a guardian angel named E.Q., Benjamin Garcia. He was there every morning when the women were walking their dogs because a lot of them, they would have to go to work afterwards. And do you know nobody ever thanked us for that? Nobody. Nobody. And because of our presence, there were no further attacks. And you say to yourself, what's wrong with these people there? I don't know. I mean, they hate the police. 
They hate anybody that's trying to provide public safety. And what they did was uh, they they planted a tree. A tree now grows for moose in Prospect Park, which is great. I think there are plans of trying to put up a statue in honor of this heroic dog who stood his ground, moose. But these people, they don't want anybody doing anything. It's like it is bizarre because we had a chance, both of us, to experience that ourselves. Yeah, I mean, but, but again, and that's why you, you have to do what you think is right, because if you just listen to some of these loud voices, you would presume, oh, everyone thinks this way. I don't feel this way. I know a lot of normal people who don't feel this way either. So, I mean, how can you possibly say, oh, yeah, you have to acknowledge that there's a lot of people who feel that, you know, they want to be comfortable walking in this park. What is the, I, where is the, where's the mystery in that simple statement? I want to feel comfortable walking in the park. Well, you know, I think if you could explain to us, you went to an initial meeting there where some of the local residents actually wanted to start a patrol uh, with the inspiration having been the guardian angels. They they weren't going to do a guardian angel patrol, but they were motivated by that. Could you explain to them what happened at that meeting and how a very good idea just crashed and burned? Yeah, I mean, again, it went from, uh, you know, the concept of, you know, more or less having uh, some element of safety there because, you know, people don't have to be alone to saying, oh, well, it's like the hatred of the NYPD was really what was apparent because, well, you're going to be acting like the NYPD if what you're doing here is you're here to watch these homeless people, these EDPs, because what else are you there to do but mess with them? So that was where the, you know, the complete, um, like, misstep in logic is. Well, clearly you're here because your goal would be to mess with this person as opposed to the goal of protecting the person who gets attacked. Very, very different concepts. And no one's paying attention to the person who's not, feel, who's not doing well, which is really what they should be doing if that's their concern. So, yeah, total mis- misstep in logic. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. And yet, uh, at least there will be a memorial in honor of the dog. You talk about, you know, they say uh, a dog is man and woman's best friend. Uh, People have to realize this dog, this moose dog, took a horrific beating, internal bleeding, suffered for about a week. And nobody was concerned about this dog. They were concerned about an emotionally disturbed guy who was trying to attack and hurt women. But that being said, we'll continue to do what we can in the neighborhood that's best known as being the residence now of Bill de Blasio and his wife, Charlene, who single-handedly destroyed the city that we loved in uh, eight years and did nothing for animals, I might add. Meantime, boy, the bird watchers are out. I've seen them, Nancy. They, they, they have this special bird that's out. They have those safari hats. They're wearing those Boy Scout shorts. They got the binoculars. They go, whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo. They're everywhere. They're trying to eyeball 
what they call the devil bird. Can you explain that? Yeah, so that's that's the the name of it, the devil bird. It's a water bird. It has like a long neck. It has been sighted in Prospect Park, right? We were just talking about Prospect Park. And this is the second time, only the second time it's ever been seen in New York City. So, uh, you know, so it's taken up residence in the lake area in the park. So, and, and it's funny because they refer to this as it, it has joined other high-profile vagrant birds. That's how they describe this. But what, what's interesting is, like, so the, the explanation so far is, well, it's a, a warm-weather bird, and it's taking advantage of the unusually warm weather here in New York. But where it normally uh, lives is in the Gulf uh, and near Texas. So that sounds a little wrong to me. Like, I know it's a little warmer here, but I, I can't imagine it's as warm as it is there. So maybe there's something else accounting for it veering off of course so uh, dramatically. Well, I would love to hear from any of our many bird watchers who have called us before on the Animal Welfare Hour as to why this incredible level of excitement that the bird watchers have spotted the devil bird for the very first time in Prospect Park. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize, Nancy, is that during the migratory period, which is like spring, uh, massive flocks of birds will go south and north. They'll be trans. Going back and forth, you need, like, air traffic control, huge amounts of birds, and they will stop over in places like Central Park or then Cortland Park or Cunningham Park or Prospect Park. And then once they're renewed, you know, they have some food, they rest, and then they continue on with their journey. But I got to tell you, man, you would think this was the return of the Mashiach, the way they're talking about it. The devil bird. The devil bird. Look, look. whoop woo our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then to the country of Norway. A lot of Norwegians who live in the Brooklyn area where you uh, were living for a while before I met you, Nancy. Uh, Sunset Park, Bay Ridge, huge Norwegian community at one point. Uh, they have the Eric the Red, uh, Leif Erikson Day Parade. They really think that they discovered the new world. But... I I don't quite understand what happened in Norway. There was this beloved walrus. Everybody loved this walrus. And then I guess they killed the walrus, and now they're putting up a statue to the walrus. Explain that for me, please. Yeah, it's completely absurd. Um, So this is, uh, okay, the name of the walrus statue and the walrus is Freya. So this uh, walrus uh, came to fame in uh, 2022, I believe they said. And it became like a tourist attraction in Norway because, again, so now this is another example of animals being, um, you know, like living in areas where they normally aren't. So walrus normally wouldn't be as close to uh, the marina-type area where they've been, you know, taking up residence in the past few years. And this particular one uh, just happened to be so friendly with the people that, uh, you know, people were coming from all over the place to visit and take pictures. And uh, it became what Norway considered a nuisance. But it seems like, it, you know, it's a little questionable as to why they considered a nuisance. They said, oh, well, people were getting too close that were visiting. So uh, we had to do it for its own safety. But they wound up euthanizing this walrus. And so there was a huge outcry and an investigation. Oh, why did they authorize the killing of this walrus? 
So in honor of this walrus, they built the statue that it's an exact replica of it, you know, the exact poundage and size and everything. And it's taken up shop in the same exact marina where it was euthanized. So it's kind of a, a weird, like, bittersweet, odd story that it was kicked out, but now it's forever there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it would uh, come up to the yachts. It would lay out on the yachts. It would take in sun. It was became like a a national uh, institution. They euthanized it, and then they put up a statue. <laughs> you say, well, why did you kill it to begin with? It would have been alive. It would have been frolicking about. They had tourists who would purposely come to that part of Norway to observe this walrus, who apparently was very friendly towards uh, Well, I think crowds. it was because it was uh, 1,300 pounds, and this marina that it was, you know, took residence up at had a lot of really nice um, yachts, and they didn't appreciate that Freya had been lounging on the yachts. I and, think that's where it started. And that that's why Frey is no longer with us. That's why Frey is no oh, longer wow. with us. Now, speaking of a lot of those that are out there with the walruses at sea, the porpoises, the dolphins, the whales, uh, the killer whales, is this, this whole thing that's going on as they continue to build these windmills to try to generate clean energy, green energy. And the continuation of the unexplained deaths of these whales, uh, dolphins, especially along the Jersey Shore, the South Shore, Long Island, and all up and down the coast of the United States and in other countries. And now they've tried to make it a political issue because the Republicans have said, no, 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 we need to cease and desist building these windmills until we can figure out if there's a direct correlation uh, between the windmills and how they build them and what goes into it and the deaths of the whales and the dolphins. And Democrats, instead of saying, well, this is something we can work together on, it's a bipartisan issue, everybody loves whales, everybody loves dolphins, they said, no, no, it's it's, it's a Republican issue, so we can't join the Republicans on this. It's really, it's it's to the detriment of, of these great mammals who were in two-thirds of the world, that is what the ocean is, two-thirds of the world, only one-third of the world is land. Yeah, this, so, first of all, this is, like, really extremely odd what's going on in New Jersey. There was hearings that were conducted, and for whatever reason, they were, uh, you know, uh, GOP, they had one set of hearings. The Democrats had another set of hearings on the same exact issue um, related to the, the whale deaths. But what happened was um, the GOP lawmakers said that, okay, we want to have a, a two-month moratorium on um, all of the construction to see if the uh, number of deaths go down because they're going by the number of 32 whales um, have been found along the, the shoreline since December. So in the two months, you know, so I think that's like six um, whales per month. So in two months, if you have um, less than that, then, you know, so they're trying to find some causal effect. But uh, meanwhile, because the Democrats, they had their own hearing, they said, well, it's not that. We're blaming it on climate change. And because we believe it's climate change that's causing the whale deaths, they actually had blocked um, previous attempts to, you know, have this moratorium just to see what was going on. So somehow this 
animal issue has become a political issue for no clear reason. I mean, with the exception that I'm guessing it must be like who's who the donors are, like maybe one's the wind energy and the other one's like, the, you know, so it must be that because nothing else makes sense because they're really avoiding the obvious, you know, thing, which is the, this should be prioritizing the whale debts. Yeah, you you would think they make everything political. This is a simple, simple situation. Is we have these unexplained whale deaths, these unexplained dolphin deaths. I think if you're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent, or a political, you're like, you're really taken aback by this. We've never had this before. Is it because of shipping and maybe ships crashing in, or they're bumping the whales or the dolphins? That needs to be researched. Is it what's going into the manufacture and the putting into place of these windmills where they're using sonar and explosive devices on the surface floor of the ocean? Is that what calling it and throwing off the internal radar of these uh, creatures of the ocean? They don't even want to explore it. They don't want to hear anything about it. It's sort of like... I mean, and, and when you look at just the, the complete dynamics of it, it's the amount of money that's been poured into it how quickly this industry has grown, the amount of, um, you know, uh, places that are vested in doing this. And the idea of, of slowing it down now would mean possibly not doing it. They're so vested. Once this stuff starts, there's even shutoff times where you can't, um, you know, undo once you start these turbines. So there's a reason why you want to stop it before it starts, because th- there's even that amount of time to consider as well. So, but, again, I think there's so much money vested in it, it's going to be a really, really tough thing to stop. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the Animal Welfare Hour. And when we come back, Nancy, you got to explain the update. So many people have been asking me wherever I go, hey, how's Whiskers doing with her six new kittens that she brought into the world, that if not for you rescuing her at the Animal Care and Control Shelter of New York City, uh, Whiskers would have been dead, and so would the uh, six kittens who would never have seen the light of day. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new uh, opportunity for all of you to uh, actually see in a half-hour edition what the animal welfare issues are for the week. It's brought to you by my wife, uh, Nancy, and myself. Uh, It's part of uh, Red Apple Media. Uh, you go to the WABC YouTube channel and you type in Red Apple Media and you will see now 10, 10 episodes uh, that are involved with various animal welfare issues. The one that has gotten the, the most response so far, Nancy, out of the many that we've done is Whiskers, uh, the female cat that you rescued from uh, Animal Care and Control the Shelter who is pregnant, who brought six kittens into the world. Can you give us an update? And a lot of people have uh, asked me, when will they be up for adoption? And when will uh, our many listeners uh, be able to actually uh, suggest names for the new six kittens? Oh, well, yeah. So let's see. I would say they are just starting to move around now. So 
I mean, they still have, you know, like a, another month, uh, like say six weeks, eight weeks before they're really like, you know, ready to go. But I did start to give them a little soft food, maybe like the past day or so, uh, a little bit of walking in it. But, you know, they're getting that. Um, you know, they, they have the water a uh, little bit. You know, so they're, they're, everything's sort of starting to come around. Um, but it's funny because I would say maybe in the past 24, 48 hours, they're definitely moving around now. So, you know, it's like you can start to see those little bursts of random uh, kitten energy where just out of nowhere it's like, totally still and then just you know you can just like hop like two inches to the right like out of nowhere <laughs> like just some odd movement so they already have that little spunkiness going on one of the little kittens of the six actually looks like tuna the russian blue uh, cat who had so many problems uh, yet survived well beyond her years it's almost as if she's uh she's come back for a second time as a kitten, it, she almost looks exactly like Tuna looked. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it is actually pretty um, similar, like replica. Like I, I can only imagine this is probably what Tuna would have looked like at this stage. So, if people were interested in seeing how the kittens are doing with whiskers, how might they be able to uh, be able to see that? On your Facebook and Twitter, I'm going to put, like, the most recent uh, pictures that I've taken, and I'm going to take a little video clip it so this way you can actually see their movement, see what I'm talking about, like, how they do move. And, yeah, I mean, you know, again, their, their personalities in terms of, you know, things like names. I always, you know, like to wait until I start seeing, like, little personalities develop in them. So, you know, right now they're just starting to, to move, so... I would say yeah, maybe in a couple weeks they'll have something where you can figure out names for them. Yeah, good. And we'll post that and we'll allow all of those who listen to us on the Animal Welfare uh, Hour or who uh, watch our videos that we drop every week on Wednesdays uh, actually participate in the name selection and maybe even be available to adopt them. But you have a special way of adopting out. You want them to go in twos, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, definitely. I always I love the idea of having uh, when they grow up together, they're, you know, with siblings, especially. And, you know, they they're they're so much happier, I think, in, you know, pairs uh, just in general throughout their life. Uh, if you have one cat by themselves, they tend to be lonely, you know, very sort of dependent on you all of the time. I think it's much fuller life for the, the cat and for you as well, just enjoying, you know, having cats around, have two is better than one. Well, when you've green-lighted uh, the naming process, I'll make sure our listeners are aware <laughs> on the other shows that I do. And obviously when the adoption process is up, uh, we'll uh, post it so that if people are interested in adopting uh, Whiskers kittens, they'll be able to do that. Speaking of kittens... There have been some stories of late about dogs and cats, specifically the most recent one, a cat. I've never seen a cat that large before. How many pounds was that cat? It made all the news uh, programs and all the newspapers. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it, it couldn't have been 40. Like, was it 40, maybe 44? Why? Did, why is it that a regular house cat, Gets that large, and I've seen a lot of dogs. The same situation is just way too heavy, and it's, it can't be good for these animals. 
I mean, when you, when you see it to that extent, you know, I, I think the first thing you probably think is there has to be a health issue because, I mean, that's just, you know, that's unusually large. So that would be the presumption. Like you would want to make sure that you had, um, you know, that animal to the, you know, the vet for whatever type of diagnostic test you could figure out. And clearly as a result of, you know, uh, being so overweight for, you know, their size, there would be health issues that are attendant with that anyway. So whether it's caused because of or there's just resulting issues. So you probably have to address it in conjunction because, you know, if, I mean, again, like uh, cats have issues like, uh, you know, diabetes, things like that. So there's there's medications that you may have to have them on even for that purpose just to maintain their weight in conjunction with their health. But I've seen you. You don't leave food out there. You know, you basically put it out and then you take it away so that the cats are not feasting on it morning, noon, and night. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's just a, a more natural way just to feed them in general. Uh, you know, I mean, and it it just does make sense. I mean, they are, in particular, they're uh, predators. They're accustomed to uh, hunting and eating in short spurts. You know, they don't carry food and, or eat throughout the day. I mean, they, you know, they, they have a, sh- a meal, then a long time where they don't. So it's more natural for their system and more natural to their metabolism, which is also what helps them maintain their weight. Let's go to Patricia, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Patricia. Um, Thank you. I love listening to your program, first of all, I have to say. Um, My daughter has four cats, and she purchased a bed off of Amazon for them. They, They got everything in carnation, like they're real babies, these cats. But anyway, to make a long story short... Just tonight, she has it around a month. She said, calls me up, and she says, Ma, I had to get rid of that bed. I said, why? She said, there was something moving in it tonight. She said, I'm not kidding you, Ma. There was something alive in that bed. It was made in China. Did you ever hear of anything like this? She said, Ma, I'm afraid to open it. We threw it out in a bag. Does that sound bizarre? That, that does sound bizarre. Yeah, now, now, Patricia, uh, you had your daughter has four cats, right? Yes. Okay. Four. And it wasn't one of the cats that somehow got <laughs> into the bed, right? No, 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 no. It was. It still was like brand new. I was over there the other day. She said, "Ma, there was something that either was dormant in there or something hatched." She said, "I saw it moving." She called her brother down. Her husband has a little impairment in his eye, so she said, "You can't, you know, ask Steve. He won't see anything." But she said, "Anthony saw it too. There was something moving in there, and the cats were starting to act weird. One of them started like, like they were just acting weird, you know, bizarre. Like they were afraid of it now." Wow. It's. it's that's I mean, one, that, I, that's one for the books, Patricia. I don't think uh, Nancy has had way more experiences uh, with animal welfare issues than I yeah, have. I've, I've never had anything that was like dormant and then just came to life later down the road. Um, is it possible maybe something later on got into it? Like maybe one of the cats brought something in there because it was their favorite no, place that, to go? That, but the house cats stay just strictly in the house. They don't go oh. outside. Her house is immaculately clean. You know, it's not like she's a, a fanatic with the cleanliness. This so it's mis- like had to be something in there that and my son thinks it might be a, might have been a spider. 
A spider. I mm. don't know. Wow. You it, never heard of it before. No, no, but uh, the the uh, mattress has been uh, deposited uh, for trash collection, right? Oh, she wrapped it up already in a bag to go, you know, outside of a house. Watch. She said, Mom, you know what happens sometimes? People come around late at night, they pick up the mattresses or the box springs, and they bring it to your house, and somebody's going to have some... Uh, some uh, maybe foreign alien substance uh, emerging out of that mattress. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's a cat bed, a cat bed, like one of the round ones. The real, and they liked it before this happened. Yeah, like they would yeah. Go, we we have that. We have the accepted smaller, the little cat bed, Nancy, that they yeah. all love to go in and they love to scratch that too. Yeah, my yeah. my those creatures. Mm. Tell you what, Patricia. Okay. We, yeah. You really stumped us on this one. I know. I said I never heard of such a thing like that. What could I'll do, I'll do some research you... and see if I hear anything, if I find anything about that. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Same yeah. time, same place, Patricia. That one oh, well. is one for the books. Let's go to Michael who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Hey, thanks, Curtis and Nancy. It's it's great speaking with you. Uh, so I've lived on the Upper East Side with uh, my longtime significant other, Catherine, for 27 years. We we have two or we have three cats that are in their mid-teens now. And I'd like to answer Nancy the question. We're considering the end-of-life possibilities because we both were very lucky professionally that we can do whatever we want for our cats. But we travel a lot for work. Would you... Nancy, would you prefer euthanasia if that had to be a possibility in the apartment or at the veterinary place? And oh, then we're, we would have them cremated. Oh, I don't know. That's that's I don't know. That's uh, wait. You you'd want to euthanize? I don't wait. Just because we're you're not going to euthanize the cats and or their health. So we've had one jump out the window. And spend a lot of time at the animal uh, hospital on uh, what, what is that, 63rd in York. Yeah. Uh, he survived. Yeah. Uh, but he has some issues. We have a Best Stearns foster cat who's blind in one eye, who's already at like 13 or 14. And then we have a ASPCA rescue who's around 14 or 15. So we're we're just preparing ourselves for what to do in case of emergency. Oh, in case of emergency. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I've had, I mean, you know, if, if, if there's, you know, it's obviously that's a, that's a tough thing because it, you know, it depends. It's like, depending upon how, how, um, how sick they are, like, you know, maybe at, at the moment, like obviously sometimes things can just happen out of nowhere. Like I've had, um, you know, cats who I knew had issues, but the dramatic decline in their health was just so immediate. It wasn't even like there was time to think of um, bringing them to the vet. And, you know, at that point, too, it's like, you know, it's almost more traumatic for them um, to be moved. So, yeah, like, you know, it, it, I think it's definitely – but I, I do think, you know, if possible, always in, in the home is better. And then I just have a second question. We had a fire in our building. We live in a condo on the Upper East Side. Yeah. Uh, that is an older building, 
and so we have fire escapes and elevators. What would be your best way to get the cats and the carriers when the fire alarm in the hallways are going off? It's very hard to calm them down to get them in, the, in into carriers. Yeah, you know what? I mean, at, at that point, hopefully you could just, I would say, um, uh, to some extent maybe rely on the fact that they do tense up a little bit when they're in that traumatic situation, but they know you enough to be uh, calm. Like I would put like a towel cover over them real quick and just put them right in the carrier because, I mean, I've noticed that sometimes as scared as they might be, that fear will make them not run but actually just pause in fright. Now, uh, finally, uh, before Dominic Carter joins us, Nancy, we uh, are setting history this week. Uh, We are collecting signatures for two separate candidates, one a Democrat, one a Republican, running for city council in New York. Uh, Kelly Klingman, who I've spoken about before here, uh, is taking on uh, Tiffany Caban, the mini-me of AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Astoria. She has qualified. She is running on the Republican line and the conservative line against Tiffany Caban, the Democrat. We are now gathering up signatures to qualify her on the first animal welfare line to give her an additional line. And uh, also who will be collecting signatures for an animal welfare line for his candidacy for his reelection is Robert Holden, who has been a guest here at WABC with John Katsimatidis and the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion and some of the other shows. Uh, he is uh, the leader of the animal welfare movement in the city council. He's running for re-election. He's a Democrat. Uh, so they have to gather each 450 signatures to qualify the line by the end of the month, by Memorial Day. Uh, so uh, people, if you're interested, if you're a registered voter and you're interested in helping us gather signatures, in Astoria for Kelly Klingman, the Republican, who is going to be running on an animal welfare line, in addition to being a Republican and conservative, and Robert Holden, who in addition to running on the Democratic line, will be uh, running on an animal welfare line. Uh, how can they get in touch with us? Well, uh, they can reach out to you um, a message on uh, Twitter, uh, Curtis Sliwa. So reach out to me, Curtis Sliwa. Uh, message uh, on Twitter. Yeah, DM. And if they're interested in any further information about animal welfare issues, how can they reach you? Well, they can find me at guardianangels.org, or they can email me at nancy at guardianangels.org. And boy, do you have a lot of uh, homework to do. <laughs> I do. Because of Patricia in Staten <laughs> Island, who hit us with a question we've never, ever had before in all the animal welfare shows that we've done on Sunday nights from 11 to 12, a podiatrist, I don't know, some kind of a creature that was inside of the bedding for the cats that just recently emerged that required uh, her to bag the bed and to dispose of it. And you had never heard of anything like this, Nancy. Yeah, no, maybe we can bat that question to Frank Morano. Sounds like one of those other side things. Yeah, other side of midnight. You know, he <laughs> who claims he's an expert on everything. What's and then that? people will call up about cat issues because they have three cats. They're really Rachel, Rachel's cats, not his. He's a dog guy. And instead of him referring cat questions to you, the expert, yeah. 
he'll try to answer them on his own. And nine times out of ten, he's wrong. I'm willing to hand off this possible alien issue to him. Yeah. And remember, Patricia is from where? Staten Island. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, Matt Blaze, I want you to play back that caller, Patricia, since Frank claims, you know, he's a pretentious, uh, thinks he knows everything about everything. He does know about Staten Island. Maybe he can figure that out. Anyway, uh, I do appreciate it once again. Uh, if anybody would like to see the videos that we post every week, uh, just go to the WABC. Uh, YouTube channel and type in Red Apple Media. We actually have done a video this week about uh, coming forward and helping us get signatures to qualify the Animal Welfare Party as a line that candidates can run on to promote those issues. Talk Radio 77. WABC.